are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Our scripture reading today comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord.
than to read the plot summary or watch a movie trailer. So I like to be surprised. I like to know how the story unfolds as it's unfolding. I don't want anything to be ruined. I want to know as little as possible. But in the real world, it's not often that we're able to see the ends while we're in the midst of a story. There's typically no spoilers. The book of Revelation gives us that rare opportunity. We're standing here in the middle and we get to see a picture of what's to come. And the funny thing is, even as someone like me who absolutely hates spoilers, there's something refreshing and comforting knowing what the future holds in eternity. So we get a glimpse into the future. What do we see? We see people from every nation, every tribe, people and language gathered around the throne worshiping God in unison saying salvation belongs to our God. So this morning I want us to answer the question why do we value and pursue diversity here at Emmanuel? And the first reason is this because God cares about diversity. God cares about diversity. I know that one's easy. Of course he does. He cares for everyone, right? We know this. But it's easy to say that God cares. Let's really think through this simple truth. How do we know that God cares about diversity? First, we know that God cares about diversity because he is the author of diversity. He created it. In Genesis, in the account of creation, we see in verse 26, our triune God in perfect unity with himself saying, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And this term not just the term man, it's not just referring to Adam, it's referring to all mankind, to the human race. So it's saying, let us make all of mankind in our image. And then in verse 28, God instructs them to be fruitful and multiply, to scatter, to fill the earth. So God created all of us in this room in his image, and he, it was by his design that he would fill every part of the earth. And he did this knowing that one day he would redeem people from every part of this earth for himself through the work of Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. Later on, Genesis 11, we see the account of Babylon where some people resisting God's instruction to scatter. Mm-hmm. Verse 4 says, And they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. So they wanted to build a city and a tower. They wanted to create a name for themselves. It says that they shared a common language and worked together to come up with a plan to resist God's instruction to scatter. You see God's response in verse 9 where he says, it says that he confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. So at the beginning of Genesis, we see God creating man with the intention of filling the earth. Then we see man resisting that instruction. We see God confusing their language and causing his plan to be carried out. New languages are spoken and the people are scattered as he intended. So as of 2021, there are more than 195 countries recognized across the globe. Within those countries, there's over 7,000 languages spoken. This was not an accident. This was God's plan. So 
We know that God cares about diversity because it is part of his perfect and sovereign design. God also shows us that he cares about diversity in his revelation to John. Throughout this revelation, diversity was on full display as John witnessed the worship that was taking place. Let's look again at verse 9. It says, After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So John could have easily said there was a vast multitude and left it at that. But he goes into greater detail to make sure that we know it wasn't just a lot of people, but every nation is there, not just some of the people from those nations are represented, but every tribe within those nations and every language within those tribes. It's a beautiful picture. People from all corners of the earth, people from all walks of life, find themselves worshiping in unison with one voice, praising God for salvation. Some may be tempted to write this off as John's observation. Maybe he was trying to communicate um, that there were a lot of people that weren't all the same. Maybe he noticed the diversity and it was important to him. But Revelation 10 verse 11 gives us more clarity as to why John went into such great detail. It says this, They said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So John receives direct instruction here. You must prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. You must. John, don't leave this part out. It's important. It wasn't John's idea to emphasize this part of the story. It was God's. So the first reason that we value diversity at Emmanuel is because God values diversity. He created it. He enforced it, and he wants us to know about it. And so if diversity is important to God, then shouldn't we too value and pursue diversity within our lives, and within our church? Shouldn't we want our gatherings within these walls to look like the gatherings that are taking place around the throne in heaven? Shouldn't we want the gatherings within our homes to look like the gatherings seen in heaven, to reflect that same unity? same oneness? The answer is an easy and resounding yes. The second reason that we value diversity at Emmanuel is because Jesus purchased a diverse people with his blood. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5 starting in verse 9. It says, they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. You purchase people for God by your blood from every tribe and language, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. We sang about that this morning. Hear that, church. Jesus purchased people from every nation, tribe, and tongue with his blood. Many in this room have been believers for quite some time. It may be easy for us to forget the absurdity that took place to bring us into the family of God. But every person here this morning, because of the terminal illness that is called sin, was born into this world as an enemy of God. As John Tavius read from Romans this morning, that was made clear, none of us 
started on sure footing when it comes to our standing with God. We were all born into sin, every one of us. As Paul reminded the Ephesians, at the same time, you're without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Hear this, church. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's through the work of the cross that we have been purchased and we have been redeemed. We've been made sons and heirs of Christ. So the gospel is clear. There's nothing good in me that calls me to recognize the grace and mercy of Jesus. It's only by the Spirit working in me that my eyes were open to my need for Jesus. It's only through His work in me that I'm able to see my sin for the death sentence that it is. To turn from my wicked ways and put my faith in Him. Jesus 1 tells us, for He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So let's put these pieces together. The beginning of the story is this. Jesus, before the foundation of the world, set a work in motion to call believers to himself. And then he himself purchased those believers with his blood. So we find ourselves this morning in the middle of a story of redemption, but we know the end. God, God already gave it away. At the end of the story, we see those whom he called, namely a diverse people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, worshiping around the throne. So we can either be willing participants in this great story, or God can work in spite of us. But the truth is that he will work. Paul assured the Romans, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So church, don't we want to be willing participants? Don't we want to be joyful participants in the story of redemption? How sad it would be if on the other side of eternity, instead of Emmanuel Church, that God worked out his sovereign plan in spite of us. My prayer is that it would be said that we care about diversity because the blood of Jesus is immeasurably precious. It was used to purchase a diverse people for God. The third reason that we as Emmanuel Church long to be a diverse family is because it puts the gospel on full display for the world to see. Truth is, we know this, the desire to be a diverse family is not easy to accomplish. I'm sure that doesn't surprise anyone in here. We know this to be true. We know that the world is broken. We even sang about it this morning. Do you know the world is broken? We do. We feel it. We don't have to look far to see countless examples of disunity in our world, to see lines of division constantly being drawn over Nationality, race, culture, ethnicity, politics. Here in the last year, we've seen it drawn over masks and vaccines. It's on the news daily. It's in our history books. It's found throughout Scripture. We see 
humans that are broken, falling into disunity. It's because of the sin that is rooted so deeply within us from birth that disunity comes naturally to us. In Birmingham, it's easy to see where these lines of division have been drawn over race, both outside and within the church. Sin is not limited to race, and it's certainly not limited to Birmingham. I've seen this brokenness in places like the UK, where though the overwhelming majority of citizens are white, there's strong lines of division drawn between classes, strong lines of um, superiority between groups like the English and the Scots, or even between those within London who speak the Queen's English or those with a Cockney accent. We draw lines of division wherever we are. I've witnessed tribalism among the people of Zambia where your tribe determines your political affiliation and your belief system. And though I couldn't discern one tribe from the next based on my own observations, there have been devastating wars within the country of Zambia fought over tribes. In Constantinople in the 6th century, Chariot racing was the pinnacle of entertainment. There were four teams with very clever names. You had the Reds, the Whites, the Greens, and the Blues. And to be a citizen in Constantinople was to pick a color, to pick a team. Who do you identify with? And these teams eventually evolved to take on political and social agendas. Then one day it all boiled over and more than 30,000 people were killed in a single day in a riot. All over their chosen color, their chosen team. So the point is this, we're broken. We're very good at drawing lines of division. We're very good at picking teams. We're good at developing an us and a them. And in a strange way, there's a fleeting comfort found in belonging to a group, even one that's built on silly, meaningless points of division. Because of our sin and brokenness, it's natural for us to band together on lines of race, class, politics, social justice, countless other things. It's natural for us to develop an us and a them. It's natural, but it is devoid of the hope of the gospel. In contrast, there's nothing natural about seeking to lay aside our differences, to hold high the gospel, seek to win souls for the kingdom in Birmingham and beyond. It's completely unnatural. Even in the statement diverse family, there's tension. Because the easiest definitions of diverse leads to things that are alike. Switch that. Diverse leads us to things that are inherently different. I can't even break the tension myself. <laughs> the definitions for family leads to things that are alike. So here we have diverse family, things that are different, things that are alike. So by definition, we're seeking to be a group of disciples who are different and alike at the same time. It's not natural. So how do we accomplish this? you've been with us through the first few weeks of this series, we've looked at our vision statement, you may have noticed that we've been a bit out of order. Our vision statement is to be a family of disciples, diverse family of disciples, living to make the real Jesus known. 
in Birmingham and beyond, yet in week one, we looked at the real Jesus. In week two, we looked at what it means to be disciples. Week three, we looked at living to make Jesus known. And now here we are in week four. We made it all the way back to the beginning to be a diverse family. This is not an accident. It's not an oversight. It's very much intentional because um, though the sentence structure would place diverse family at the beginning, this is not an effort to say that this is the most important part of the statement. Yes, it is crucial to the mission to which we have been called. But until we truly know the real Jesus of Scripture, until we are actively seeking to become disciples of Christ, until we are committed to living our lives to make Jesus known, it is utterly impossible for us to live as diverse family. It's only after a supernatural work takes place in us that we're able to look beyond our differences to celebrate the beauty of God's creative design for mankind and making each of us unique and work together to advance the gospel in Birmingham and beyond. And so we value diversity at Emmanuel because if we are able to do this, the world around us will look on in awe and confusion it's only through a supernatural work that we could ever accomplish the task of living as the first family. I love what Buster said last week. He said, if we live this way, it will require a gospel explanation. So it puts the beauty of the gospel on full display for all the world to see. So, if all of this is true, if God cares about diversity. He created it. He forced it. He wants us to know about it. If Jesus bought a diverse people with his blood, and if it really is a beautiful picture of the gospel to live in this way, then maybe we're asking the wrong question this morning. Maybe it's not the right question to ask why we care, but more appropriately, how could we not? So what does this look like? What does it look like to live as diverse family? Paul in Romans uses the example of the human body, talking about diversity found within the church body. I'm sure we're all familiar with this. It says in Romans 12, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly. As God has distributed a measure of faith to each one, now it's we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Then again, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, For just as the body is one, has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part of any. So this morning, it doesn't matter who you are, where you were born, what you've done. If you claim the name of Jesus, then you're a valuable and irreplaceable part of the body of Christ. He's uniquely gifted you to serve his kingdom. 
as the body of Christ, we need the diversity that God so carefully designed. We need all parts. We need fingers and toes and elbows and knees uniquely gifted to serve their role for the benefit of the body. As I was thinking through this, I thought, you know, I wonder what, what my role would be. Would I be a toe? Would I be a knee? But isn't it great to even be a part of the body, to have a role, to have a function? We all have a role to play. If you've ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night, you know it's a valuable part of the human body. It can take you down. It doesn't matter what part we are, we are needed, we are valued. So because of life circumstances, maybe your job, your talents, your background, even the sins that you struggle with, because of all of those things that make you unique, there are people in Birmingham that will hear the gospel most clearly from your lips. The people that you will encounter that no one else will encounter. There's situations that you can speak into with better clarity and more wisdom because of the life that you alone have lived. So the body of Christ needs you. Are you single? Use your freedom for the kingdom. We need you. Are you married? Let your marriage reflect Christ's love for his bride. We need you. Are you struggling with sin? Let those around you bear witness to your sanctification as you fight daily to look more like Jesus. We need you. Young and old, rich and poor, male, female, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, we need you. So I mentioned earlier, the second time is correct. Most of the definitions for family lead us to things that are alike. Families typically consist of blood relatives or those of the same heritage or those who share the same last name. These are the definitions that we put on family. I think there's a, another definition that would be more helpful for us this morning. It comes from the U.S. Census Bureau of all places. They define family as any number of people living together and provided for by a common head. As Paul tells us in Ephesians, the head of the church is Christ. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what you have to offer. Claim the name of Christ. You are part of this family. This is what matters most. God's design for His creation, His plan for eternity, is to be glorified and worshipped by people from all nations and tongues, all walks of life. For the world to see that the most important thing about us, the thing that unifies us above all else, is Christ and Him crucified. So it will never be easy for us to lay aside our preferences. It will never be easy for us to say, I may disagree with you on politics. And we may not see eye to eye on social justice. You may have no idea what it's like to come from my place. I may have no understanding of 
what you have been through, but we both claim the name of Jesus. He is our head, and that makes us family. It will never be easy, but it will show the beauty of the gospel at work in our lives. Church, Jesus knew this wouldn't be easy. But he also knew that we as believers could live as one, just as he and the Father were one. It would be a testament to the world. Jesus prays in John chapter 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. They may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Church, Jesus is praying for us here. We are the ones who would believe through his word. He's not praying that we would be the same, but he's praying that we would be one. Pray that we would be one just as He and the Father are one. And as a result, the world would know He was sent by God. And he loved them. The world would believe in Him. So that one day, we would gather around the throne as people who are distinctly different from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. That together in unison, one voice, would say salvation belongs to our God. So that leads us to the table this morning. The is going to come up. I invite you just to hear these words. I'm going to read from us. Read for us from Ephesians. So just a piece of this earlier. But I invite you just to sit, to reflect, to take in these words. The truth is, we were all outsiders. We were all on the outside looking in. So hear these words. So then remember that one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in His flesh, he made of no effects the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. He might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you 
were far away, peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Here's the good news. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the world. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling. Instagram at Emmanuel B.